Well, good morning. If you're here for the first time, I especially want to welcome you. And it's my sincere desire that this would become a habit in your life and a place you would look forward to coming to each and every week. Uh, For those that are online, as much as I wish you were here, I'm glad you're at least there. And I hope that you will feel completely a part of the service as well. Well, I, I like observing people in general. It's what I've done most of my life. But I particularly like observing kids, little kids, um, you know, like elementary school and under kids when they play together, you get four or five of them together because you can watch the entire spectrum of emotions kind of play out before your very eyes in a very short period of time. You know, so like kids will start playing together and it's like, oh, I love you. You're so much fun. And then it goes to, I don't like you. You won't do what I want to do. And then it goes to, I hate you. You are not my friend anymore. Then after a bit, it's like, I'm bored. Want to play again? And then it goes back to, I love you. You're so much fun. So instability in kids, it's kind of cute and we expect it. It's kind of part of the process of developing. But instability in ourselves as adults, not always so cute, not always so fun. In fact, when we manifest some instability, uh, our tendency is to feel a little surprised by it and to uh, express ourselves in ways that shows that we're, we're kind of surprised or maybe embarrassed is even the better word. We'll say things like, you know, oh, man, I just cannot believe. I can't, I can't, I can't, I don't, it's, you know better. I just can't believe I said that. I, I don't know. I can't believe. I just, I, it's not me. I can't believe I did that. You know, we say things like that. We say things like, I, I just was not myself. I don't know who I was, but I was not myself. Myself is certainly more stable and nicer and better than that. And then we'll say things like, too, like, well, it's, it's the, cir- you don't understand, it's the circumstances. I, I haven't slept. I haven't slept in days, weeks, months, years. You, you know, I, I, and we'll say, it's like the perfect, you don't understand what's going on in my life. It's the perfect storm of circumstances. And, and so that's why I did whatever, said whatever, react away. And then sometimes we say, it's my boss. It's this boss. It's this person at work. They're just bringing me to the end of my, it's my spouse. They're just, they're driving me crazy. It's my kids. They're just, they're monsters. No, they're not monsters. They're just, they're, they're cranking me crazy. It's, it's the neighbor. It's the, na- the loud neighbors that have got me in this condition. And that's why I said what I said to you. So we, we have all these little excuses. And it's because we're rather surprised at ourselves and maybe embarrassed too. We, we can't believe in our own instability and when it manifests itself we don't feel comfortable with it now here's the first thing I want to say to let anyone here that's so far feeling a little bit uncomfortable instability far from being surprising we shouldn't be shocked at it at all it's not surprising instability is inevitable okay not only is instability inevitable Instability is necessary. It is a necessary part of development. You can't go from being childlike in your thoughts and patterns and emotions to suddenly being adult-like, stable, mature. There has to be the intervention, the intermediary steps. And so if you are here this morning and you suspect that there's some instability that is a part of your character... It's okay 
It doesn't mean that you're a terrible human being or, or a failure or anything like that. It just means that God in his love is here this morning saying, I, I want to help you grow. I want to help you mature. I want to hel- help you get where your instability starts to become stability, where your immaturity starts to become maturity, where your unchristlikeness in certain areas starts to become Christ-likeness. So take, take all the uncomfortable feelings off as we go into this. Now, we're going to continue in this series, right, with Moses again. We said this entire series, Journey to Destiny, it's about our God-given destiny, and that God-given destiny for each and every human being, it is to grow and develop. This life is meant to be a developmental journey in which you and I increasingly become a Christ-like version of ourself. You'll see that in a minute in the Scripture. And then once we are in this developmental process, we are to do those unique things that God called and equipped us to do. We're all called and equipped to do different things. Not everybody's called and equipped to do the same thing as anybody else. We just need to be faithful within the context of our role. So we're going to go back to the Israelites and Moses again. So if you don't mind, turn to the book of Exodus. Once again, chapter 19, it'll be page 81. Exodus chapter 19. Now the Israelites, you'll see, they've journeyed from Egypt. God has performed 10 spectacular miracles to free them from Pharaoh. They have seen supernatural activity on a scale that most humans will never, ever see. Uh, They were backed up against the Red Sea last week, and we saw that God supernaturally opens the Red Sea for them, even though they manifested their instability by kind of jumping all over Moses and jumping all over God, accusing God of just setting them up to be killed and so forth. But he still lovingly delivered them. So with that, let's pick up in chapter 19, and we're kind of read verses 1 through 8, and then I'll, I'll jump you to verse 20. It says, In the third month after the Israelites went out from the land of Egypt, so we have a very good date mechanism there, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they journeyed from Rephidim, they came to the desert of Sinai, and they camped in the desert. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. Thus you will tell the house of Jacob and declare to the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I lifted you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And now, verse 5, pay attention carefully. And now, if you will diligently listen to me and keep my covenant, then you will be my special possession out of all the nations." For all the earth is mine. And you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you will speak to the Israelites. So Moses came and he summoned the elders of Israel. And he set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Notice the response of the people. Verse 8. All the people answered together. All that the Lord has commanded. We will. What does it say? We will do. Whatever God says, we'll do. Man, we're in. We're in, Moses. We want this covenant with God. So Moses brought back the words of the people back to the Lord. Look at verse 20. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Now, I'll stop there for just a bit, and then I'll take you to 20 or chapter 32, but let me just tell you. So, Moses is called by God to go back up to the mountain. He's going to receive the laws from God. He's going to receive all kinds of information about the tabernacle and so forth. But we're going to learn in chapter 24 of Exodus, verse 18, it says specifically, Moses was up there with God for 40 days. 
So he's gone. The Israelites, they can see God at the top of the mountain. There's fire all over the mountain. They had heard the thunderous voice of God. So they, they were very much aware of what was going on. Let's go to chapter 32. And let's pick up reading in verse 7 and 8. So mind you, Moses has been up on the mountain 40 days. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, go quickly, descend, because your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way that I commanded them, and they have made for themselves a molten calf and have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. Let's jump once, one more time to verse 19. When he, being Moses, when he approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses became extremely angry and he threw the tablets from his hands and broke them to pieces at the bottom of the mountain. The tablets, verse 16 says, these are the Ten Commandments that were engraved on front and back by God himself. He takes them, he throws them down. Verse 21, let's pick up in verse 21. It says, Moses said to Aaron, this is Moses' older brother, he's three years older than Moses. Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought on them so great a sin? Verse 23. Here's Aaron's explanation. They said to me, so this is the people saying to Aaron, Make us gods that will go before us. For as for this fellow Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's happened to him. So I said, and this is Aaron talking to his younger brother Moses. So I said to them, Whoever has gold, break it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and this calf came out. That's real believable. This is a 77-year, this could be an 83-year-old man talking to his 80-year-old brother, telling him that, you know. So let me go on, read you one more verse, and then we'll start to make application. Look at verse 25. Moses saw that the people were running wild, for Aaron had let them get completely out of control. And we'll just kind of stop there. So, surprising instability. Let, let's kind of backtrack with the Israelites. The very first time that God sends Moses to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, yeah, let them go, right. I'm going to double up their work. They're not going to get straw anymore, and they're still going to have to make the same number of bricks. The people turn on Moses and turn on God and essentially say, thanks for nothing. Why don't you just leave us alone? So they started showing instability right away. On the one hand, they wanted to be delivered. They were living in horrible conditions in Egypt. They were being bullied day and night. They were being oppressed. The male children were being killed at birth. At the other side... They were quick to, you know, fluctuate emotionally based on the tiniest change of circumstance. Now, I want to show you a cycle uh, leading up to where they're at now. In this three-month period of time, we saw when the labor was increased, they started to complain. They started to have an outburst of instability. In Exodus 14, when they were back up to the Red Sea, remember, they start jumping all over Pharaoh and saying to God, oh, you just brought us out here to kill us. Again, instability. Chapter 15, they were without water. They turn on Moses and they turn on God once again. And of course, each time God supplies. Exodus 16, they were hungry. So they turn on Moses, they turn on God. 
And once again, God supplies something called manna, which they end up eating for the next 40 years of their journey in the wilderness, about three and a half million people. Once again, Exodus 17, they run out of water. They jump all over God, jump all over Moses. And once again, God provides. And then we just read how when Moses is gone, they know he's at the top of the mountain. They know he's communing with God. Nevertheless, they're ready to rebel against God, rebel against Moses. So they just keep showing this pattern of instability. And I know some of you are thinking, man, if I would have seen just one of those miracles that those people saw, I'd be loyal for life. God wouldn't have another servant on the earth like me if I would have just seen one of those miracles. Hold on to that thought and don't be too sure of that because there's good, strong evidence that that's not really so. So their instability was obvious, but what I hope to be able to show you is that, frankly, their instability was was rather understandable. And and it was not something that they should be condemned for. Rather, it should be looked upon as an inevitable stage of development, but it was meant to be that, a stage of development that they would grow out of and then finally into maturity and stability. So what about us? Maybe some of us in here, if we're honest with ourselves or other people were around us and we're honest to say, you know, that person shows a lot of instability still. It makes it doubly bad when, let's say, you have made that decision at some point in your life where you said, you know, I, I really believe that Christ is trustworthy. He created the universe. He loved me enough to die sacrificially on the cross for me. I'm going to put my trust in him and I'm going to be his follower. And maybe you started out and you had full intention to obey God thoroughly and completely in every part of your life because you really trusted him. And then before you know it, you find instability rise up in your life. You didn't mean it this way, but something causes you to drift. Something gets you distracted. Something gets you disgruntled at God. He doesn't come through in a way that you wanted him to come through. He doesn't provide something you wanted. Maybe a prayer isn't answered. Maybe something goes wrong in your life and you can't understand why it's letting it happen. Next thing you know, you're like one of these Israelites. Maybe it's another situation. You're a real Christ follower, but you've got some kind of a, some kind of a place where you just keep failing and faltering you don't want to do the certain behavior but you just keep doing it again and again each time you confess it as a sin to god you say you're so sorry you promise him you're never going to do it again you're really through with it but you're right back there again before you know it instability and it starts to make you feel uncomfortable with yourself you start to wonder am i a real christian is there something wrong with me maybe i'm i'm not a real follower of christ all maybe i don't really trust him if i'm trusting why do i keep having these uh explosions of instability in my life and we go back and forth and it can be very uncomfortable now i'm going to give you some reasons for this that will help each of us to understand our instability so that we can not only stand it but grow past it ultimately it's an interesting article i came across um should be there any second uh by a guy named todd may and he says we tell stories that make us seem adventurous think about it when you tell somebody something that happened in your life we tell stories that make us seem adventurous or funny or strong we tell stories that make our lives seem interesting and listen to this part we tell these stories not only to others but to who ourselves one of the reasons that we have stability problems one of the reasons that we're surprised at our own instability when it arises in our life is we have a vision of ourselves that is based on the person we want to be and we get it confused who we want to be and who we actually are 
And so when the instability manifests itself, we're kind of embarrassed, we're kind of shocked, we're kind of disappointed, we may even get discouraged because we, we think we are who we want to be, but those two don't usually match up too well. We tell ourselves stories about ourselves that are not exactly accurate, and then we're surprised or shocked by our instability. Listen to this portion of Scripture from the book of Ephesians. Paul's writing to Christ followers living in the city of Ephesus. And if you read the verse that goes before it, it talks about the leadership team that God has established in local churches, pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets and so on. He says, this work, meaning their teaching work, this work must continue until we are all joined together in what we believe and in what we know about the Son of God. Lock on to this next part. Our goal, our goal is to become like a what? Full-grown man, and it just means a full-grown person, So that's that's our goal, is to be mature, full-grown person. But what does a full-grown person look like? What does a a mature person look like? To look just like, you tell me, Christ. That's what a mature human being looks like. To look just like Christ. How much like Christ? And have all his, what does it say? All his perfection. Oh, come on, Randy. You know nobody's going to be perfect. You're just giving me something to feel bad about myself now. Nobody's going to be perfect. Don't, don't, why do you teach that perfect? Wait, does the scripture say it or not? Does it say that's supposed to be our goal? How many of you know that if there's a target on a wall and I have a pistol in my hand and if I take the pistol wanting to hit the target but instead I, I aim it right to the ground, how many know I'm likely to hit the ground? How many agree with that? Likely to hit the ground. But if I aim it at the target, even if I'm not a good shot, I might hit the target, Right? If we are not aiming, if we are not taking seriously that this life is a developmental journey, which is the name of this series, Journey to Destiny, our destiny is to become a mature, Christ-like version of ourselves. And if we don't take that goal as a God-given capacity, opportunity, what it's meant to be for us, then we won't hit it. We won't move. We won't grow. We won't develop. So, let's go on. If we mature, then, then, now this is if we mature, then we will no longer be like what? Babies. Babies is okay to be immature. And by babies, they mean brand new uh, followers of Christ, brand new Christians who, who are just learning the truth about God. We will not be people who are always changing, changing, you know, always in flux, changing like a ship that uh, the waves carry one way and then another. It goes on. We will not be influenced by every new teaching. There are Christians that just like, they're like bumblebees. They just go from church to church and teacher to teacher to teacher. And, and they're never clear. They don't know the overarching plan of God. They, they don't know how it all coheres. They're not being taught, but they just jump around to different things. They're, from every teaching we hear people who are trying to deceive us, those who make clever plans and use every kind of trick and fool others into following the wrong way. And this is not to say that every other teacher is teaching bad things. I'm just trying to say instability is characteristic of young, of brand new Christians. Okay, it's okay at that point. But maturity, it manifests itself in stability. So number one reason for a lack of stability, or let's call it uh, surprising instability in our life, is frankly, it's innocent. We just don't know God well enough. The Israelites didn't know God very well. 
It had just been months. They, they really didn't know anything of him. They knew about his power. They knew about his wonders in getting them out of Egypt. They knew that he must love them a little bit because he wanted to rescue them in the first place. They knew he could provide for them. But there was so much about God they didn't know. They knew his power. They knew his laws because he was starting to give his laws to them. God's laws tell us a little bit about God, but they, they didn't know much else. If you are a brand new Christ follower, you put your trust in Christ, you're following him, but you're still pretty much a blank slate when it comes to God's revelation about himself and about life, it's natural that you're going to be unstable. Don't be surprised and don't be discouraged. It's just part of development. Let me show you a second reason why uh, we can find instability in our lives and we shouldn't be surprised. In the book of James... James says the key is that your requests be anchored by your single-minded, what does it say? Commitment to God. If you read the verse that goes before, James is saying if we ask God for wisdom, he'll absolutely give us wisdom. But then he says, but the only way he'll answer us and give us wisdom is the key is that your requests be anchored by your single-minded commitment to God. Sometimes we are unstable because we're not, really, we're not really sold out. We're not really single-minded committed to God. We're committed to God a little bit on this side of our life or, or for this month or for these two months. But we go back and forth between doing things our way and doing things God's way. It's kind of like we got one leg on one side of the fence and one on the other. And that means it develops instability. This verse goes on to say, those who depend on their own judgment, sometimes I do what God says, sometimes I just use my own judgment. Those who depend on their own judgment are like those lost on the seas, carried away by any wave or picked up by any wind. Again, instability, blowing around. It goes on. Those adrift on their own wisdom shouldn't assume the Lord will rescue them or bring them anything. Why? Being a what? double-minded man or person and what is the manifestation unstable unstable and restless in all his or her ways in everything he or she thinks feels and decides one of the reasons people are just full of instability and we shouldn't be surprised by it is if we are not wholeheartedly committed to christ we are going to be unstable because we fluctuate between God's will and ways and our will and ways. And of course that creates instability. There's a third reason that we can see instability. And the Israelites have this too. And, and that's courage or confidence. The Israelites were, were scared. This was a new thing for them. They had lived their entire lives in Egypt in a very predictable environment. They were slaves. They were told what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And going off on this new journey to be mature and to take responsibility for themselves, this was, this was new. This, this took a lot of courage. Came across an interesting story about a guy whose name I'll butcher, uh, Moran Karimi Nassari. He lived in an airport, Charles de Gaulle uh, International Airport in France, and you're reading that correctly. How many years? 18 years. He lived in the airport itself. 18 years. Now, here's what's interesting about the story. 11 years into this, and, and it's a very complex story where he had left Iran and he was trying to relocate in the UK and his documents were stolen and, and he, he was just stuck. He was a man without a country. But listen, at 11 years into this, France finally said, hey, listen, we, we understand you're in a bad fix here. Come on and be a French citizen. We'll let you into our country. He rejected it. He stayed in the airport. Can you imagine living in an airport? He stayed in the airport for another seven years. The only reason he left the airport is he got so sick, they had to cart him out on a, on a you know, hospital bed and take him to the hospital. Now he's finally settling into housing in France and that kind of thing. Why? He was scared. 
Sometimes their instability is the result of just being afraid of this new life that God is calling us to because it's new. We, we don't know what to expect. Here's the, the dark side of humanity. We can, we can cling to the most miserable of circumstances because they are known to us. They are familiar. As miserable as they may be, as wrong as they may be, we will tend to cling to them rather than to venture out sometimes and follow God and start to do things the right way because it's new. We, we don't know what to expect. We have a lack of courage. So instability is caused by a lack of understanding about God, sometimes a lack of commitment, and then sometimes courage. We lack courage to just follow God's will. Now, I'm going to give you three other important aspects of why we tend to be surprised by instability sometimes in our own life. Number four reason is unhealthy developmental experiences. Think about it, the Israelites. I just said earlier, they, they had lived as slaves Uh, They were not encouraged to mature at all. They were told when to get up, when to go to sleep, what to do all day. They were threatened constantly. It was a mindless existence, just trying to just survive and not be injured. This doesn't encourage development of our faculties that, you know, we receive as being, you know, made in God's image. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings or insult anybody because we all do the best we can. But sometimes we grow up in family context that are also repressive and they don't encourage thinking they don't encourage making our own mind up or making our own decisions now i'm not saying you you want to do this with tiny little kids there's a stage stage development but as children develop the more that we can encourage them to think and help them to think and to come to their own conclusions about things the more they will develop the israelites were not encouraged churches churches can be the worst places in the world for this kind of repressive thinking there are churches that you know the pastor or some leaders in the church they tell everybody in the church do this don't do that this is all there is don't think about it don't question it this is the way it is and that's repressive and it causes people to stay immature and if you don't mature you're going to end up being surprised by the inevitable instability you have. I mean, what we've done for 27 years in here is I've tried my best to give people a crystal clear picture of God's overarching plan for life and urge people to think, to get Scripture in you and think on your own. Be, be mature. Uh, develop your own ideas about what God wants you to do. Sec, uh, fourth reason, fifth reason. Uncertainty about God's character. Now, like I said, the Israelites, the only thing they knew about God was they knew about his miracles and power. They knew about his laws because God was giving his laws to Moses. What they didn't know is they didn't know about the compassionate, loving, sacrificial, loving character of God because no one knew that. No one knew that for another 1,500 years. It was not until Jesus, God himself, the creator of the universe, came to this planet and manifested this sacrificial component in God's heart. The angels themselves did not know this. It says in Colossians 1 that they are being affected and impacted by the sacrifice of Christ and the way it's outworking in those that follow him. So this was a big deal. We humans are scared. We have difficulty with trusting God because Satan slandered God way back in the Garden of Eden, said that God's all about power. He's not about love and compassion. He doesn't care about what's best for us. He just wants to use us. And we still struggle with that. But now we have no excuse. This is really important. 
Now that God has revealed himself completely to us in Christ on the cross, here's here's God manifesting his sacrificial goodness. We have no reason, no excuse to ever distrust God again. You say, Randy, you don't know how I grew up, man. Everybody fouled me. Everybody abandoned me. Everybody that I should have been able to trust, they wounded me. They hurt me. So how can I trust God? Because he's God. Because he died on the cross sacrificially for you. Those people that wounded you, did they, did, would they die for you? Did they die for you? No. But God has. And therefore, we've got to stop lying to ourselves and saying, I can't trust because. No, 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 no. The scripture says, the Holy Spirit says, I can, you can, we can trust God because he has completely revealed his trustworthiness to us in Christ and particularly his sacrificial death in our behalf on the cross. So, one more. Unsafe spiritual leadership. You remember, you know, the people, they, they go to Aaron. Moses is up on the mountain with God. They go to Aaron and say, Aaron, you know, we don't know where this, this brother of yours is, man. We're, we're, we just can't stand waiting around here. So make us some gods that will lead us on from here. And Aaron's like, okay, give me your earrings, you know, and off he goes. Unsafe spiritual leadership. What are you talking about, Randy? Unsafe spiritual leadership, one of the marks of it are people that need something from the people. Aaron did whatever the people wanted. He needed, evidently, their approval. He needed their admiration. They wanted him to make gods. He made gods. That is very dangerous spiritual leadership. You don't want somebody. You don't want somebody teaching you that needs anything from you. You want somebody that is committed to God and to the truth and who will tell you what you need to know, the truth you need to know, rather than what you want to hear. Unsafe spiritual leadership will tell you what you want to hear rather than what you need to know. He was also inexperienced. You see, he didn't know God very well. Moses did. Moses was face-to-face with God. Moses is up on the mountain. He's having intimate interaction with God. Spiritual leaders that have heads full of ideas about God and life, but who don't have intimate experience with God are not safe people to follow. So all these things contribute to instability. This is what made the Israelites think, oh, this is fine to do. Just go ahead and do it. Do whatever you want to do. You know, make some calves. Follow whoever you want to follow. All these things lead to instability. So how can we, if we've maybe detected that we have some instability in ourselves, what can we do about it? Maybe some of us are sitting here thinking, you know, I've had this instability problem, Randy. I've been a Christ follower for five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years, and I still have it. Why? Why doesn't it go away? Well, There can be some unique reasons for that, but let's just take a general approach to what God says is the singular path to turning instability into stability. And it's meant to be a stage instability. It's not meant to be a permanent hunting ground or a permanent home for us. Look at this passage from Hebrews chapter 5. It says, anyone who has to drink milk is still a what? Now, if you drink milk, it doesn't mean you're a baby. You, You know what he's trying to say. Without experience, without experience in doing what? Applying. Applying the word about righteousness is far different than reading the word about righteousness or even studying the word about righteousness. 
Applying it calls for reading it, studying it, getting the meaning of it, but then using your God-enlightened reason and imagination and saying, how would this truth apply in the situation that I am in because I want to lovingly build and bless this person. I want to do the right thing in God's sight, but, but I've got to apply it in this situation. It's going to be different. The same truth could be applied differently in differing contexts and situations. That requires faculties to be used your god enlightened reasoning your imagination your mind look at it goes on and explains further solid food is for the who mature and we read to be mature is to become like christ so the mature whose faculties faculties have been trained how by continuous exercise to distinguish good from evil what is it saying it's saying That the mature are those who are always asking themselves, what is the right, the godly, the, the, the most kind, the most blessed, the most important, the necessary thing in this given situation? God, help me to understand. Help me to see. I'm going to your word. I think I have an understanding of this particular verse, this principle. But how does it apply in this situation? It's saying that people who live this way who constantly have their faculties trained by this kind of use they become mature and hence they become stable. There's something I share with you from a book that uh, I I strongly urge everybody to read, The God-Shaped Heart. But there's a section in it and it gives us this little thing, this little guideline of seven levels of moral development. The first four levels of moral development, you can see spiritual, moral immaturity. If you or I are functioning on this level, we're of course going to manifest instability. The first level, remember, it's reward and punishment. That's kind of like the slaves. They just do what they do to avoid punishment. Second level, marketplace exchange. I'll do this for God because I want him to do this for me. I want him to give me something to bless me. Marketplace exchange. These are, these are childish forms of moral uh, governance in a person's soul. Social conformity. Well, I'm just going to look around and see what everybody in my church does. I, I want to blend in. I don't want to be any different than them. I don't want them to think I'm a bad person. Fourth level, law and order. What are the rules? Churches are full of people in America that just want to know, what are the rules? What are the rules? Once I know the rules, I just blindly, mindlessly obey the rules. None of these first four require any thought, any reasoning, any seeking God in prayer, elevating the understanding and enlightenment of our our conscience. It doesn't require any of that. It's just mindless activity. Now, when you get down to these levels, level five, six, and seven, it totally changes. I'm going to do or not do something based on my love for others. I have to know who you are. I have to know where your development is. I have to know what's really best for you. What's best for you, you may not like it. You may not want to hear it. But I know it's best because I've sought God. I've sought his word. I'm using my mind. I'm using my imagination. I'm I'm using my God-enlightened reasoning powers. Principle-based living. I go to God's word. I get principles that are designed to build and bless lives. And once again, I've got to prayerfully consider, how does this work in this particular situation, this particular personal life? I've got to think. Last, I'm an understanding friend of God. I know the overarching plan of God. I'm totally in love with his plan, his purposes. And now I am his partner. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. Dad, don't worry. I know what you want done. And I'm here just like your son Jesus to do it. I'm going to do whatever you want. I know you thoroughly. And I'm going to carry it out. I'm thinking. I'm reasoning. I'm applying your word, your wisdom in particular situations. These last three levels require thinking and reasoning and seeking God and having our conscience calibrated his word. And that's what builds maturity. Now, let me show you 
the way that this actually works out in a procedure, God's own chosen procedure for our actual transformation from immaturity to maturity, from instability to stability. And I'm, I'm going to say something I said in the first service. You could study the Bible regularly, and that's a good thing, and still not be mature, ever mature. But it's a good thing to study the Bible regularly. You could pray regularly, diligently, for, for long periods of time, and still not ever become stable and mature. You could join a growth group. You could stay in a growth group every year of your life and still not ever be mature or stable. You, you could serve on a serving team loyally, sacrificially, and still never mature, never become stable. You could give generously. You, you could give your first 10%, you give 15%, you give 50% of your income and still never mature, never become stable. You say, Randy, are these all bad things you're talking about? No, they're actually all good things. But I'm saying that we can do, you got, some of you really got to hear this because you've been Christian a long time and you can't figure out why you're not growing, why, why you're not getting healthy. You can do all these things and ignore one procedure that God has mapped out in his word as a necessary part of authentic growth and transformation. And if we ignore this process, this procedure that brings authentic development, we can do all those other good things, and they're good things, but they still will not benefit us to bring maturity and stability. Now, they're all good if you embrace the process. In fact, they're all very, very important. Going to church every Sunday, very important. But if you neglect this process, you still won't develop. Here it is. Paul writing to Christ followers in Ephesus, he says, You were taught with reference to your former way of life to lay aside the old man or the old self. He's saying, you remember who you were and what you were like before you put your trust in Christ and became his follower. You remember the way you thought. You remember what your values were. You remember your habits. You remember your reaction patterns. That old person that you were before following Christ. He says, you've got to put that one, you've got to put that aside or lay it aside. Lay it aside means I have to take action. God's not going to do this for me. He's telling me I have to do it. Now, I can't lay aside my old self unless I recognize its manifestations. So inwardly, I've got to be attuned. I've got to know what I'm thinking and why I'm thinking it. And I've got to be, be quick to monitor my inward process. It's a big joke that, you know, if you ask men, you say, um, well, what are you feeling right now? Uh, the man just goes, Ooh, you know, or he says, I'm hungry, you know. The big joke is that we men don't understand our feelings, but we do. We, we, we know our feelings. We're just not attuned to monitoring them. I'm just serious with you. If you are not attuned to monitoring your feelings and your thoughts, you cannot put off your old self. You will not grow. You will not mature. You will not be stable. You'll be up and down, up and down, up and down. Your whole Christian life will be a roller coaster. Okay? So this requires an in, inner focus. Where, you know, to be spiritual means I am inner focused. So you were taught with reference to your former way of life to lay aside your old man. So every time I have one of those old thought patterns, old reaction patterns, I'm going to say, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. I'm putting that aside. That's part of that person I'm no longer. Who is being corrupted in accordance with deceitful desires. I was stupid. I was following things that I thought were going to bring fulfillment, and they never would. And then I'm to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The spirit of your mind is your God-enlightened reasoning faculties and your conscience. They need to be filled with the word of God. They need to be stimulated by prayer and interaction with God and his people. And then they grow stronger. When we first come to Christ, particularly in our day and age, our conscience and our moral reasoning faculties are atrophied. Our society is atrophying our 
conscience and our moral reasoning faculties, mostly by media bombardment. Go on to the second part of this. So I'm to put off my old self, but then I'm to put on. Notice it's an act of my will. If I don't do this, I'm not going to grow and develop. I don't care how long I've been a Christian. I don't care how long I sit in church. Put on the new man who has been created in God's image in righteousness and holiness that comes from what? The truth. Once I know the truth about God and the truth about life, to do the right thing, to be righteous, and to do the holy thing just makes sense once I know the truth. And so these flow naturally from that. But here's this process. God is saying, unless I am actively monitoring my inside and I catch that old self when it's first starting to think or feel or react a certain way and say, whoa, 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 I know where that is. That, that's not of God. That's that old self. Jesus, what, what, what's the new self? What should I be thinking in this situation? What should I be saying? How should I be reacting? If you and I are unwilling to police ourselves this way, you and I will never mature. And we'll be up and down, up and down. And we shouldn't be surprised by our lack of stability. We can go up and down in a week, in a month, in a day, umpteen times. Because we're not going to... De- development comes slowly. This is a slow, messy procedure that needs to continue on throughout our Christian life. It requires developing habits. A habit. L- listen to this about habits. Habits. Habits are the invisible architecture of daily life. We repeat about 40% of our behavior almost daily. So our habits shape our existence and our future. Our habits are our what? Destiny. And changing our habits allows us to alter that what? That destiny. If you and I, and God's given us the power to do this, if we don't alter our habits putting off our old self, got to recognize the old self, putting on the new self. You got to know what the new self looks like. That's in here. It's in scripture. We're not going to develop and we shouldn't be surprised by our instability. So here's how we can correct our instability and it calls for intentionality. So in closing, it could be that you're sitting here feeling a little bit uncomfortable, maybe even um, a little bit, you know, embarrassed or angry because your instability is now something that you you're forced to kind of look at and come to grips with and you're being told for the first time that it's okay to be unstable if you're just starting out as a Christ follower that's normal but you're being told also that if you've been following Christ for a while and you're still constantly unstable fluctuating all over the place behaviorally and emotionally then then this this is not God's best for you. He, he wants to bring you to a place of self-control. That's one of the, the outworkings of God's spirit in us. We gain self-control. And so the process of self-control calls for intentionally putting off our old self, putting on the new. And that means I've got to develop this habit, this daily habit, this lifelong habit of monitoring what's going on inside and quickly turning to God Instead of yielding again and again to my old ways of thinking, feeling, and handling situations. So, each of us is going to have a time to apply this in our own given way. But God has given us the ability today and, and urging us on to, to grow, to have some stability in our life. So, let's, let's pray and ask God's help in this. Father, you know us each. You know how complicated each of our lives are. You know how unique 
our structures are, our pasts are, and all the things that influence us, help us in our individual life to see the steps that you have laid out for us that we can go from being unstable to stable, from immature to mature, from unchristlike to Christ-like in authentic change and growth. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.